2: We tell true stories. We tell them live.
1: And we tell them across the UK.
2: This week, more stories from the London
3: Podcast Festival.
1: Including one which is pretty rude, with graphic descriptions
4: of a sexual nature.
3: Enjoy. We're going to hear some more stories from you now. When have you felt out of place? Revisiting places I enjoyed years ago. And why? Realising how much I've moved on. Mm. When have you felt out of place? when I'm stoned, and why? Because it makes me feel really paranoid. And more often than not, this paranoia manifests itself in my thinking I have pissed myself. (laughs) I think it's a beautiful one. Thank you, whoever contributed that. Okay, we're going to bring up our next storyteller now. This is the producer and presenter of the Little Atoms podcast. He's been doing it for 10 years. You should check it out. It's a really, really interesting podcast. Please welcome all the way from over there, Neil Denny, ladies and gents.
4: This time exactly a week ago, I was with my partner in a field by the Hudson River in upstate New York at a wedding, to a friend's wedding, um, and in the little town of Hudson, or just outside of the town of Hudson. Um, if you've never been, I highly recommend it, it's a great place. There's been this sort of exodus of hipsters priced out of Brooklyn, they're gradually moving up the Hudson to one of these small towns. And so this town, if you've ever been to any small towns in America, they're normally full of little antique shops. And you walk around the antique shops in Hudson, and they all sell, like, lovely mid-century furniture. And we found one that sold, like, weird sort of communist memorabilia and stuff from North Korea and stuff and things that cater to hipsters. And, and while we were there, we also managed to completely embarrass ourselves in front of the pop science writer Malcolm Gladwell. But that's a, that's a story for, for another time. Because what I want to talk about today is this Airbnb place that we found in Hudson, um, which I'm a massive fan of Airbnb. I've probably stayed in about 30 places. And this one we found we thought potentially was one of the best ones we'd ever, we'd ever found and would ever stay in. It was a beautiful 19th century house, three-story townhouse about 100 yards from the river. And we get there, we drive from, we drive from um, Rhode Island to to this place in upstate New York. It's like a 3 hours drive we get there. It's about five o'clock in the evening. And the woman who owns the place, a uh, sort of probably 70-year-old woman, um, it turns out she'd been heavily involved in the, in the avant-garde art scene in New York. So this house was full of like, interesting artifacts that you would collect through a life of, of doing that. And she's, she's got this a little Pomeranian dog under her arm. Um, she opens the door, she's wearing a pajamas, it's about five o'clock in the evening, she's got a pajamas on. She opens the door, and the dog, the dog is coughing. It goes like, <coughs> 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 like this. And she says, and well, this is a horrible story, don't laugh. The dog, it's a rescue dog, it's got a crushed trachea because somebody threw it out of a car. Now, yeah, that's appalling. And it was appalling when she told us it when we first arrived. Forty-eight hours later. It wasn't so appalling because whenever you went anywhere in the house where this dog was, (coughs) 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 constantly, never stopped. So anyway, the woman shows us up to the room that we're staying in. Fantastic room, beautiful antique bed, huge bed. She immediately says, two people at least have told me they've conceived in that bed, which (laughs) you don't really want to know, but whatever. And the bathroom has this massive jacuzzi bath in it. And surrounding all around the bottom of the bath and on the walls are all of these like sort of antique Victorian and twenties pornography pictures, basically. So clearly this, you know, the, the jacuzzi she's got uh, she's got ideas for that as well. Which is very strict. She says don't make sure all of the water doesn't ever go on the floor, but you know, have fun in the jacuzzi. Okay, great. So <laughs> There's chocolates on the pillows, as you get in some posh hotels. And she's left out for us a bottle of wine, really good bottle of wine, and a couple of glasses. It's red wine, though. Neither of us drink red wine, but whatever. It was a nice gesture. So we're going out for dinner that evening very soon, and we're going to a wedding the next day. So I need to iron a couple of shirts. So I said to her, can I borrow an ironing board? She takes me to another bedroom, which is already set. There's an ironing board set up with an iron on it. Big pile of ironing to do on the bed. Great. She leaves me and she's going, by by the way, I can't do accents. So you've got to remember that this woman's from Manhattan. She's not from the East Midlands. Um, She says, Oh, I I love a man who can do the ironing. You never find an American who can do the ironing. So it's great. So she likes me. And um, she goes, I pick up the iron, literally put my shirt on the ironing board, go, and the ironing board collapses underneath me, just falls to the floor. And there's a loud clatter because it's wooden floors. Okay. So. Trying to pick the signing board up. And she comes in and stands at the door.
1: What the fucking hell have you done?
4: <laughs> now, I'm not going to use any more expletives, but if you imagine one every second or third word through everything she says in the next couple of minutes. <laughs> well, it, I, I, I just touched it. It collapsed. It just, I didn't do anything. It literally just collapsed under me. Presuming, I'm presuming this must happen all the time. I've had that ironing board for 20 years. That's never happened. Never happened. You've ruined it. No, 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 I haven't. I haven't. Let me try and fix it. So I'm picking the ironing board up, and I quickly figure out what's gone wrong. There's like a couple of, well, there's a plastic clip here, and there's one that obviously should have been on the other side to sort of hold it up. It won't stand up. So I'm like, okay, well, I can see what's wrong. The clip's off. That's never happened before. It's never happened. Never happened. So, okay, so I get on my knees, and I'm looking at the floor. All the time, I'm on this woman's bedroom floor. She's shouting at me relentlessly about this ironing board. I'm on the floor looking around, and you can see the entire the entire floor, and there's clearly no little plastic bit on this floor. She's lying. She's clearly bullshitting about this board. But you know, whatever. I say, okay. I'm look. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. We go out for dinner. I'm wearing an iron shirt. Whatever. We've got to get it. We just have to leave the house to stop this woman ranting at me. So we go out for dinner. We have a nice dinner. When we come back, she's gone to bed already, so we don't hear anything. But of course we go to bed thinking, oh, God, this is going to be a nightmare now. We're here for two days in the morning. She's going to be like crazy angry. We wake up the next morning. She's made us the most wonderful breakfast. She's really lovely. Doesn't mention it. Doesn't mention it at all. One So, oh, okay, so fine. We, perhaps we got away with that. That was a bit weird. But, so we go off to the wedding. Have a great day at our friend's wedding come back about 11 o'clock. We go in. She's on the phone to a friend. As soon as we walk in, she loudly says, I'll call you back. Puts the phone down. I spent the entire fucking day looking for an ironing board. There's no ironing boards in this town at all. What am I going to do? I've got to go to work on Sunday. I need to do ironing. I'm not going to get it done. You've ruined my weekend. She's got a massive glass of wine in her her hand and she's wearing her pyjamas again. So we quickly realise... Whenever this woman's wearing her pajamas, she's obviously pissed and she's angry. So, okay, really sorry, I'm really sorry. We go off to bed. Wake up the next morning, which is the morning we're due to leave. And again, she doesn't mention it. She's made us another beautiful breakfast. We have breakfast. We get in the car to leave. When we're leaving, she gives us both a big hug. It's been lovely to have you here. It's been really great. <laughs> We get in the car to drive off. We've got to drive back to Boston, which is another three-hour drive. We've been in the car five minutes, and my partner Owen gets a text from her. By the way, I'm definitely going to have to charge you for that ironing board. <laughs> okay, fine, so whatever. So, but we got away with it, and we're leaving. And then we start thinking, like, if, you, if you've used Airbnb, you know that basically the point of the thing is that you have to review the place you've stayed in, but they also review you for other future potential... Places. So we're thinking, what are we going to do about this? So we go on the, on the web while I'm driving, Erin goes on the web to look at what other people have said about it, because we can't believe... We obviously read reviews when we booked the place, but we can't believe that nobody said that this woman who runs this place is obviously crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> nobody has. Everybody's really nice. She was a wonderful host. The house, great. It's really amazing. So like, when we get back, we contrive that what we're going to do is we'll give the place a nice review so she doesn't say anything bad about us, but we won't say anything about her. So we write a review that says something like, Hudson's great, we had a great time, the bed's massive, we had a wonderful breakfast, don't forget to use the jacuzzi tub, something like that, which is great. And so we send that off and immediately get back. She's already, this is like literally at the end of this drive in Boston. She's already written the review for us as well. So that comes back to us, and I have that in here, which I will read to you to finish off. <laughs> The public review says, It was my distinct pleasure to host Erin and Neil. I suspect they are as comfortable with travel as nomads. So there was little last of me but to point them in the right direction. Generous of appreciation and great communicators, it made for a lovely weekend, especially when I learned that work would take me away from their leisurely breakfast hour. They didn't need me at all. This all adds up to a terrific hosting experience. I highly recommend their company. Great, right? Okay but then you get private feedback (laughs) as well. Okay. So this says, Hello, lovebirds. (laughs) The wine that I left for your visit sits there still. Exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark. I know it was relocated during your morning coffee upstairs, but other than that movement, I don't know what happened. As a result... And because this is in part an aspect of my host offerings, I am not charging you for the ironing boards. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much.
3: amazing stuff thank you neil denny ladies and gentlemen um now we're going to have some music um martin alswick is going to come up to the stage he's one third of answer me this the amazing podcast answer me this he's half of brain train he's the brains behind global lab and 100 percent of sounds of the ladies he's also the music behind illusionists sound women uh why Our computers and glamour uk so please welcome martin ladies and gentlemen
5: Uh, so, um, Joe got in touch and asked me if I'd, I'd uh, do a story tonight, and I'm a really, really boring man, so I don't have any stories, but I said, well, I've got this, if you're doing Uncharted Territory, I've got this, this song, which is about the first time I went to New York, and I was 19 years old. I arrived in New York, and I found my girlfriend, who was staying a little distance away, and she burst into tears, and Joe said, that sounds great, sure. <laughs> and... Uh, and that's all I'm going to tell you about the backstory. I, I, I don't want to explain more about the song than, rather than just doing it because partly it's not really my story. I was a bit of a bystander in what happened and it's kind of her story to tell. And secondly, I really hate it when songwriters spend like five minutes explaining a, a four-minute song. Like just either do the story or just do the song. So I'm just going to do the song. Uh, this is called The Only Girl Who Would Ever Break My Heart.
6: New York City and got the terrible news the port authority I did not know what to do so I got a greyhound to New Jersey as exotic as that sounds and asked if I could make love to you there inside a stranger's house it's not as if I got turned on By the thought that you might cry But back then That was my answer to everything That's why And when I think about what happened It's to leave a nasty taste She was just a girl with a tambourine around her waist You said our bodies are a mystery to us But you didn't even know where your beauty was What I have told you if I'd known from the start, you would be the only girl who would ever break my heart. Girl, when I was just a boy, and when I first saw Heather's, it was like I had a second cousin or a second sister because I already have one. I knew that things were not okay, but I was not alone. Like when I first saw Slacker By Richard Linklater On a small TV at home So I heard that you got married had a family and caught malaria from a mutual friend that I no longer talk to. And thanks to the power of the internet. Because we are getting older and life takes things away if we let it. Well, this time I think about Winona I think about Winona She was just a girl when I was just a boy Thank you.
3: Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, Okay, I've got some brilliant uh, slips that have been handed in. When have you felt out of place? West London brunches and why? I don't know, man. Just (laughs) no. Thank you for the person that handed that in. When have you felt out of place? Colleague telling me she was voting to leave Europe. And why? I am a foreigner. And so is she. Thank you very much for that contribution. (laughs) <laughs> We're now going to hear from Felix Trench. Uh, Felix Trench has a podcast called Wooden Overcoats, which is a sitcom that made the Daily Telegraph's best podcast amongst moth and cereal and other sorts. He's going to tell us a story on the theme of uncharted territory. Please welcome Felix, ladies and gents. Do
1: I look a bit like Hugh Grant ran away with the spoon? And their kid went on a hitchhiking holiday through Europe. <laughs> for those listening at home, the answer is yeah, kind of, I guess. <laughs> so, today I felt shame and guilt for my laptop. Uh, not the contents of my laptop, but the physical item. I was at the Lambeth Reuse and Recycling Center. I'd been given a lift there by my friend Andy. We'd got rid of most of the stuff that I was dumping, and uh, he held my laptop and he said, do you want the privilege of snapping it in half before putting it in the bin? The answer was no. I hadn't realized what a strong attachment I felt to that very faithful friend until that moment. And he said, can I do it? And I went, yeah, I guess, knock yourself out. Actually, no, but sure, go for it. <laughs> and I had to turn my back while he did it. <laughs> it was a really sad moment. Uh, I've been thinking a lot recently about items and... Uh, sort of my philosophical attachment to them because I'm going through a period in my life that I'm calling the purge. These two weeks are the purge where I am purging everything I don't need and I'm asking myself, two people there just nodded, kind of we should probably go through that sort of way. Uh, I'm getting rid of everything I don't need and I'm asking myself, what is need? What is want? The reason I'm doing this is because I'm moving house I'm not just moving house, uh, I'm moving city, I'm moving country, I'm moving to Paris And I'm doing that on Saturday in one week's time Um, It is an exciting and terrifying moment for me People keep asking me, uh, why are you doing this? Do you have something waiting for you? And the answer is no, no, I felt like it I felt like moving, and it's, yeah, it's a brilliant and terrifying thing, and this is one of the uh, last times that I will be able to take advantage of the free movement of people and its adventure and all of that. Someone's crying. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so I've been going through the various things, and this, I think, is best illustrated uh, by one item in my life, which is my freezer. I moved into my current flat in August, 2012. I love my flat so much. My flat is in Brixton. It's a two-floor flat. There's four of us who live there. And I moved in there after a 14-month flat hunt where I was sleeping on sofas and corridors because London is a really difficult place to find a flat, it turns out. So you can imagine that leaving that flat feels like a terrible idea. <laughs> to go through that again, happily I've, I've got somewhere lined up in Paris. Uh, nothing else, but I've got a flat. <laughs> when I moved in, so did three other people, and so did a fridge, and so did a freezer. I know this because I've got the email from Curry's proving it. My freezer arrived on the 18th of August 2012, a time of joy, of absolute joy and openness in London, a time of creativity. Uh, It was the end of the Olympics. The Paralympics must have been on, uh, I would imagine. Uh, It was a time when I had somewhere to live. I've wanted to live in London since I was 12, Uh, a school trip. Shania Twain was in the charts. We made fun of it. Literally, our joke was, well, what does impress you, Shania? (laughs) Lads. (sighs) I remember feeling that, uh, on that trip, that same joy and openness and creativity here in London uh, that I felt during that month when uh, everything seemed so brilliant, which has uh, not necessarily carried on, ...in the four years that came after it. Uh, and that's something I actually feel really quite sad about. In the time that we've been in that flat, we have worn and torn it. Uh, this freezer, specifically, let me describe the freezer. Uh, the freezer is and Guys, we're going to spend some time on the freezer. <laughs> Get on board with this. <laughs> Joanna was talking me through earlier how to structure the story. She was like, maybe you could tie the freezer into Paris... So, I guess. <laughs> My freezer's got three shelves, uh, two drawers, and then uh, a sort of flip-open hatchy thing, uh, and then a door. Anyone who analyzes it will realize that the flip-open hatchy thing is completely superfluous, because we've got a door. <laughs> Which may be why, in the time that we've been there, we've broken it. I feel very strongly in this last week, in this coming week, that I want to replace it um, because I feel a strong attachment to that freezer. So I've gone on a mission to replace this spare part. I started by doing a quick Google search for the model number. I've got that through Curry's email. It's a Frigidaire FUZ 4965. <laughs> Came up with nothing. So I went on the Frigidaire website. Frigidaire have a phone number, you call them up, it takes you to an automated service which forwards you to Electrolux. Electrolux then asks you in an automated uh, person on the other end what your postcode is so that they can forward you to the right spare parts company. I gave them my postcode. They sent me to... Uh, Service Force, the Chelmsford branch. They gave me the details of Service Force Chelmsford. I wrote those down. I called up Service Force Chelmsford and there was no answer or dial tone. (laughs) I checked online. There is indeed a Service Force Chelmsford. And that was their phone number. So I tried it again. And this time there was a ringtone like that moment in the Truman Show. (laughs) when he looks behind the lift and reality is being constructed (laughs) just in time for him to step into it. Service Force Chelmsford asked me for the serial number FUZ4965. They put it into the database and could find no record of my freezer. (laughs) They said, are you sure that's it? There's a white sticker inside. So I went and had a look inside the freezer. I literally stuck my head in right to the end. I was like, oh yeah, there it is. He says, the, uh, the sticker, the number should start with the number 9. I was like, no, there's nothing here. It starts with number 9. He said, are you sure? I was like, yep. starts with an F. I know the difference between names that start with an F and a 9. <laughs> Mine, for instance, is Felix. If it started with a 9. My name would be 9-elix. <laughs> he said, maybe it starts with a 6. I was like, I can see what you've done there. You've assumed that I'm looking the wrong way around. <laughs> But no. <laughs> it's F U Z four nine six five. There's nothing I can do about this. So he said, "Well, why don't you call Electrolux Spares?" Oh, that sounds like a great idea. So he gave me their number. I called Electrolux Spares, and Electrolux Spares also had a look. Nothing on their database. <sighs> the mystery was getting deeper. <laughs> but they gave me a key clue, which is that Electrolux bought Frigidaire last year. In 2015, and Electrolux spares are not stocking any spare parts of freezers made before 2015. This seems to me like a terrible business model, but hell, it's their business model. I was willing to pay like 15 to 25 pounds for this spare part. They suggested that I try eSpares, an outside company. I called eSpares. eSpares had no record on their database of the FUZ 4965. eSpares put me through to a different branch of eSpares, suggesting that maybe another freezer used the same component. Good idea. I uh, called them up, got through to them and went, hello, I'm after an FUZ 4965. I'm after the like top hatch for a freezer. Did any other freezers use that component? They said, how on earth would we know? <laughs> Because right, the other person said, oh, fine. They said, have you tried calling Frigidaire? I was like, yeah. Then I realized, no, 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 I haven't. I called Frigidaire, and Frigidaire put me through to Electrolux. I haven't spoken to Frigidaire. So I called up that original number again, and they sent me to Electrolux. And I said, hello, would you put me through to Frigidaire? Is that possible? And they said, no. We can't put you through to Frigidaire. I said, why not? They said, we just can't. We haven't got that data have you tried spareparts.co.uk? spareparts.co.uk has a form online. I filled that out two or three hours later. They will send you back uh, their inventory check. They check the inventory. Sure enough, spareparts.co.uk does not recognize the Frigidaire FUZ4965 as having ever existed. And I'm here to tell you tonight (laughs) that the Frigidaire FUZ4965 does exist. (laughs) And it's in my kitchen. (laughs) And I want to prove that. Here it is. (laughs) The broken hatch. We can all witness it. That serial number is now indelibly on this podcast and on phones and websites and tablets and computers all around the world. It cannot be taken from us. That there, FUZ 4965, which symbolises the joy and optimism and creativity of London 2012, Inspire a Generation. (laughs) Has that joy and creativity frozen inside? And as I say, I'm very sad that we are losing that. So my promise to you tonight uh, is that when I do move to Paris although I have nothing particular there lined up, whatever I do do, I will endeavour to bring that London 2012 joy, openness, and creativity to everything I do. Thank you.
3: Felix Trench and his freezer. Wow. Thank you so much for that story. Uh, Just a a lot of things to think about in that story. Thank you so much. We've got our last storyteller. It's got to that point in the show, the last storyteller of the show, guys. Um, This lady is a multi-award-winning journalist, broadcaster, and sex educator. She presents the Guardian's weekly sex and relationships podcast, Close Encounters. And she's the Agony Aunt, an X-rated Agony Aunt for the podcast Modern Man. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Alex Fox. (laughs) The
2: strangest present I have ever received was a small glass screw-top jar containing a man's, real human man's, left nipple that had been chopped off with a scalpel and preserved in formaldehyde. (laughs) The former owner of the nipple had actually chopped it off on purpose as part of an extreme form of body modification known as nullification, uh, where instead of changing a part of your body by, say, piercing it or tattooing it or stretching it or putting an implant inside it, you just remove it entirely, leaving you with nothing, with nada, zip, zero, null, hence the word. And I've seen, I've personally seen people nullify all sorts of different bits of their bodies. Uh, I've seen people remove the ends of their fingers. Uh, I have seen them entirely chop off their earlobes. I've seen them get rid of whole toes. Uh, And in one case, I've seen a guy uh, who paid someone to cut into the flesh of his belly button and then stitch the sides together, leaving him with a completely smooth surface. Now, the reasons why people nullify bits of themselves are hugely varied. Sometimes they might choose to do it because they've developed a real loathing for a part of their body to the point where they can't stand to own it anymore. And there is a debate to be had there about whether nullification within that context might cross over into body dysmorphia or self-harm. But on the flip side, there are also people who just really appreciate the extreme aesthetic of having nothing when beforehand there was something. They're like that kind of the shock element, you know, of, of there being a gap or a completely flat surface where before something stuck out or dangled or wiggled around. Or in some cases, it seems they nullify part of themselves because they want to wrap it up in a parcel and send their nipple to me via royal mail. (laughs) Now, to contextualise that a bit, a little bit, uh, at the time when I received that delightful Raspberry Ripple flavoured package, uh, I was working as an editor on a sadly now defunct magazine called Bizarre. Now, I don't know whether any of you have heard of Bizarre magazine, um, but it was bizarre. I I often use the descriptor that Bizarre did what it said on the tin and it was the kind of tin you want to keep on a really, really fucking high shelf far away from any children. Um, Bizarre magazine covered the most wild, way out, weirdest stuff on the planet and my job specifically there was to write articles about extreme body modification, hence the pickled nipple that was sent to me by a fan of my work. I also wrote about the planet's oddest fetishes. This meant that I was constantly being contacted by people with some really quite outlandish, unusual, outrageous, and sometimes somewhat nauseating stories and experiences and fantasies who wanted me to write articles about them. As a result, every single day, opening my post logging into my email or picking up the phone was a voyage into uncharted territory (laughs) because I never knew what the chuff I was going to see or hear. For example, one Wednesday afternoon, the phone went, so I picked it up, And there was a guy on the other end who said, Oh, you've got to write about me, Alex. I'm going to do something that the world has never seen before. Like I'm going to break new ground. I'm doing something amazing. I'm doing something incredible with my dick. And I had to spend the next two hours painstakingly explaining to this man the fatal flaws in his plan to use nail scissors to cut off his foreskin put it inside a condom, tie it up, swallow it, shit it out, and sew it back on again. It turns out, actually, that this guy's... I know, I know, I'll I'll let that one sink in for a bit. But it did turn out that, sadly, this guy's situation was actually quite sad. Uh, He was a fairly young lad, he was only about 19 or so. And he'd recently been sacked from his job at a Sainsbury's Superstore... Not for doing anything with his foreskin, thankfully. Uh, but because one night, him and his mates had got really, really bored stacking shells, And they decided to ride their bikes up and down the aisles, jousting with baguettes that they'd stolen from the bakery department. Um, but he'd found himself on the dole and really desperate for cash. And as an avid reader of Bizarre and someone who'd watched the TV show Jackass far too many times... He'd come up with this bright idea to do this sort of foreskin, severing stunt, and he thought if he could just get that in Bizarre Magazine, it would make his career and he'd become a star. Um, When he learnt that this wasn't actually going to work, he started crying, and I actually, it got really bad, he was sobbing down the phone to me about how he felt really stuck in this small town where he lived, and he was an outcast, and It got so intense that I actually had to have a counsellor sit next to me and had to put this guy on speakerphone and have the counsellor write down advice for me to pass on to him because I was really concerned that in the state of mind that this bloke was in, he might do something even more dangerous than cut off a bit of his willy. Thankfully, he was safe and I checked in on him for the weeks after that. Uh, It was an interesting phone call that day. On a lighter note, although... I really don't know whether you're going to find this one light, guys. (laughs) On a lighter note, there was a a fella who used to send me photographs about every six months or so. Um, He was more of an elderly gentleman. I never saw his face in photos, but I would guess that he was in his 60s because I did see, in copious amounts, his grey pubic hair. This guy lived in a beautiful house in the countryside with an equally beautiful garden and a garden shed. And he had a big fetish for pain and an innovative way of indulging it. His thing was to go into his garden and collect a variety of plants, insects and animals with which he would then torture himself sexually in his garden shed. I have no idea whether his neighbours knew this, but I knew all about it because I got the photos in the post. On one occasion, I got a wonderful snap of him inserting his penis into a jar of bees, which is like Nicolas Cage's worst nightmare. Uh, On another time, it was a jar of mosquitoes, seasonal variation. Uh, I also saw him with his underwear stuffed full of nettles uh, and with his ball sack encircled by uh, kind of like a crown of bramble thorns, like a scrotal Jesus. (laughs) However, I think his real pièce de résistance, and if any of you have listened to the Modern Man podcast, you might have heard me mention this one, His real high point came with the earthworms. Um, He worked out that he could dig up worms in his beautiful garden, rinse them under the tap, put them in the freezer, uh, at which point he alleged that they would enter some kind of comatose hibernation, hibernation state, and they'd go rigid and straight. He would then insert them up his urethra so he would feed worms, frozen worms, into his pee pipe, at which point he claimed in the long letters written in green biro that he would send me (laughs) that the warmth of his body would bring them back to life and make them pleasurably wiggle. Unbelievably though, there's another layer of outrage (laughs) to add to this story in that the pictures he was sending me we were not digital. They were printed out. And they would arrive to me in envelopes in an old-school boots photo wallet. <laughs> Given how much abuse from the various forces of nature this man's knob was getting, I'm surprised he could even walk to the shop, never mind look the assistant in the eye while he was collecting his snaps. But there you go. I wish him well. <laughs> Now I stopped working for Bizarre around four years ago but I am still employed as a freelance journalist uh, and as a sex educator, God help your children Um, and that means that my life I still hear lots and lots of extreme stories I am still encountering people's knobs, vaginas and Christ knows else what in extreme ways every single day Um, and recently... I really became aware of quite how much all this exposure to extreme tales and extreme sexualities has affected me as a person. I guess there's only so long in your life and so many stories that you can hear of that nature before your expectations of the world and your interpretations of the world and your ability to be shocked starts to become maybe a little bit warped compared to most people's. Now, I'm currently single. I've been for about a year and a half. Why did you laugh at that, mate? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm currently single, and uh, I've recently joined a dating app called Bumble. Bumble has nothing to do with bees, by the way, <laughs> or bees stinging people on their bell ends. Um, and I've been... Uh, I've been chatting to a number of blokes on there, including one called Simon. And I've been exchanging messages with Simon for a few days. You know, the usual stuff like what music are you listening to, seen any movies lately, etc, etc. And one night Simon sent me a message saying, Hey, you know, tonight I'm just, what are you up to? I'm just kicking back. I'm uh, laying on my couch in my underwear, watching a few videos, dot, 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 winky face emoji. And I thought, oh yeah, videos, winky face. He's watching a bit of porn, isn't he? He's getting a bit flirty with me. Then, ding, my phone went again. A second message. And this one just said, I like strangle stuff. (laughs) I like strangle stuff. Now, I'm not sure how you guys would interpret that, but ostensibly, it seemed to me like a man on a dating app had just made the rather bold admission that he liked watching porn of people being throttled. You know, this was within three days of chatting. And... uh, I can understand how some women might, be, might blanch at that and, and maybe think that was a bit over the top but you know after a decade of dealing with people who want to do things like chop off their foreskin and eat it like a calamari ring I thought no I'm open minded and you know I'm, I'm going to try and be respectful full and of the fact that this guy's had the bravery admittedly quite early and in quite a blunt manner to tell me about his fetish and what gets him off and I'm you know I'm going to I'm going to respond in a way that makes him feel accepted and safe so uh, I wrote this long message back saying how I could appreciate how strangulation could be quite hot in some contexts. And, you know, there's the power play element of it. And, of course, scient- scientifically, during asphyxiation, the oxygen to the brain is cut off. So that can intensify sensations in the genitals. And, but I was diplomatic enough and safe enough to say that, you know, this isn't really something I'd personally want to explore with someone unless I'd been in a long-term relationship with them. But I totally could see where he was coming from. Send there was a very long pause before his reply. But when it did come, it said, Alex, I'm watching a documentary about UFOs. I think there may have been an autocorrect failure in my last message. I didn't mean to say I like strangle stuff. I meant... I like strange stuff, like the X Files or aliens. Unfortunately, it would appear that Simon doesn't like stuff as strange as I have evidently become as a person over the last 10 or 15 years of my career, because after that, like a man's left nipple, he cut me off. Thanks so much, everyone. (laughs)
3: a perfect story to end our amazing night if you want to come to any of our storytelling nights you can it's all on the website stories.co.uk round of applause for all of you for listening because we couldn't have stories if we didn't have a beautiful audience like you so round of applause (laughs) speak to the storytellers we're all about connecting to people so speak to them tell them you like their story listen to their podcast keep supporting Spark I've been Charlie Harrison Thank you and good night. Hold up.